Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Back in March, when the pandemic hit, I made a prediction that the prices of boats would drop as a result of uh, the eventual recession that we were going to be moving into. I could not have been more wrong. And also, I predicted that the market would not recover, that the Fed could not make the market recover. I was wrong on both counts. (laughs) That's the problem with making predictions. You're going to be caught wrong once in a while. But I did buy some positions back then, and they went up. Uh, the unfortunate thing is I did not buy a lot of positions because the market turned around and moved up almost immediately. <sighs> the business I'm in, which is managing money, is a tough business, and you make mistakes once in a while. Anyway, prices of boats have gone up. The used market for boats has been strong. The used markets for cars has been very strong. I would not have expected this. (laughs) We are living in strange times. All right. It's the fall. It's starting to be fall-like up at the ranch. We're starting to see a few trees, leaves change colors. But it's still pretty warm and pleasant. Uh, In fact, very pleasant days for working during the day. Perfect temperature at the ranch. In the summer, it's not too bad, but it does get warm up there, just like everywhere else. I'm not looking forward to winter, except for skiing. I did buy some passes, the Icon Pass this year, so I would be skiing at uh, Deer Valley and a few other resorts in Utah this coming winter. (laughs) Last winter, every day that it snowed, and we had a lot of snow on the ground, I had to go out and blow the snow from my house, our house up in the ranch, out to the main road. And that would usually take me about an hour. And by the time I was done with that, I was too tired to go skiing. This year, I think I will just go skiing and then clear the snow later when I get home, as long as I can get my Land Cruiser in and out from where I'll be parking it. Anyway, I don't have much to report. I did run across a new listener locally of mine about a year or so ago i met with a young man who had started up a company as an angel investor and we looked at him and we thought he was a little premature for seeking angel investments out i ran into him the other day and he said franz it turns out that my partner is a listener to your podcast and he wants to meet you so we're going to go to lunch sometime Oh, in the next week or so, and I will meet one of my listeners. I really enjoy meeting you, my friends, who are my listeners, when I get the chance. So if you're visiting Salt Lake and you want to get together for a drink or for lunch, reach out to me, franz1 at medsailor.com, and I'll try to do it. As long as I'm free, I'll try to do it. All right. This is the first of two interviews I did with Chris Axelson. The next one will be next week. With no further ado, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. And then we will get on with the interview. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? Look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. 
this high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and 8 layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried-and-true powerhouse machine comes with a 5-year limited warranty and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. I am on Skype with Chris Axelson. Chris is a, a listener to the podcast, and he wrote me oh a, f- a couple months ago, actually maybe more than three months ago, of what your plans were for this summer. And your plans were to take your family and go buy a boat in Croatia and start sailing. Now, this is one of the toughest years to actually do that. So, Chris, let's talk about yourself. Where did you learn to sail? Tell us where you're at and how you got there. Well, Franz, my my sailing career started as a very young boy on the East Coast. And uh, we, my family, learned to sail there back in the 60s. And... Uh, we started out in a Tartan 27, which was one of the very early production sailboats. And after two years, my dad went to the New York Boat Show and fell in love with uh, a Bermuda 40 built by the Hinkley Company. And uh, we had that boat, which we we kept in New York City. And every summer we would sail it uh, up the coast and to Maine. And I would be on that boat with my mom on the on during the week and then my dad would take the train up and meet the boat and we'd sail for the weekend and then have another week at wherever wherever we located so I I came from a sort of classic New England sailing background and then uh, as as a fresh graduate out of college I ended up uh, in the sailboat building business where I was a marketing and sales guy. And I worked for the Pearson Yacht Company down in Rhode Island for a number of years and then went to work for a company up in Maine called Sabre Yachts that built um, uh, racer cruiser kind of sailboats. And that was during the salad days of the sailboat business in the United States back in the 80s and early 90s. And then ended up for a variety of reasons leaving that that wonderful field, and then uh, uh, ended up. You know, I was a competitive cross country skier. My wife was too, and so we ended up uh, moving to Montana and and starting uh, our business, Homestake Lodge, which is a lodge and cross country ski area in, in the, on the Continental Divide of Montana. And we went for a honeymoon uh, sailing in the BVIs. I hadn't been sailing in probably 10 or 15 years at that point in time. And we went sailing in the in the BVI. 
And that was the first time uh, my wife, Mandy, had ever been sailing. And then uh, after, gosh, I don't know, let's see, we started the Homestake Lodge in 2007. So it must have been in about 2015, we thought we would take a sabbatical of six months or so and go sailing. And so we started a little program to get our family turned into sailors. And we bought a Boston Whaler uh, 5-point-something, 5 5.1, which was a jib and mainsail day sailing boat, 17 feet long, designed by the CNC Boat Company and built by Boston Whaler. And we had that on a lake in Maine where we still have family. And so my kids and Mandy would teach themselves how to sail on that boat for five years. And then that seemed to be going okay. So we chartered a boat on the coast of Maine, a Baltic 42. And we had a week on that and we didn't, we didn't slit each other's throats after spending that time in that boat. And so we decided that our dream was coming true, that things were working out. But Mandy didn't really care for a traditional monohull. And she was very interested in a catamaran, which pained me no end. Just uh, having grown up in this traditional sailing background of cruising on the East Coast and and uh, I owned a J-24 and did a lot of sailboat racing as a young man. But here is Mandy saying, listen, I, I think this is a great idea, but I, I, I'm not – I'm not doing it in a monohull. It's just not, it's just not for me. So uh, we decided we better charter one of these catamarans because I'd never been on one. And so a year ago, we chartered one, a little over a year ago, we chartered one down to the BVI. And that was a Lagoon 42, which was a, a pretty new model, maybe just a couple of years old. And we chartered that boat with another family on there. So we had, I don't know what it would have been, eight or nine people on the boat. And it was wonderful. We had a great time. And the, uh, uh, those winds down there are pretty dramatic. And, and uh, uh, the space was terrific. The evenings were terrific on the boat. The mornings were great. The play spaces were great. The private, there were some private spaces. And the sailing, um, not so good. But when we balanced it all out, we thought, the, the catamaran wins for our needs because we have Franz. We have three young children. There are my daughter is six, and then I have two boys that are eight and ten. So you know, having that space was was really nice. So that was the dream. And so when we went to the BVI, we uh, connected with a broker in Florida who was is a real catamaran pro with the with the catamaran company Staley there. And uh, he said, you know, you need to get going on this. And I'm thinking, it's April, and I need a boat next April, and I need to get going on it now. So that seemed, that seemed a little energetic. But we got going on it, and we looked at a bunch of boats, and we kind of settled on around 45 feet. And so we were looking at uh, boats, catamarans in that category. And I was doing a lot of research, as you can probably imagine, online and trying to bone up on them and study them and 
we ended up finding uh, a Lagoon 450 in Croatia in, I'm going to say, kind of August. And uh, went through, you know, getting it surveyed, having it looked at. It was uh, with uh, DYC, Dream Yacht Charters. And everything was checking out very nicely. And so in the end of October, I flew over uh, to Croatia for uh, literally two and a half days. And we got on the boat. It was, the survey was terrific. Uh, And we sailed the boat and the boat surprised me. It seemed to sail pretty well, but I didn't, there weren't any other boats around, so I couldn't really compare, but that 450 seemed to be a pretty good sailing boat. And it powered nicely and we had hauled out of the water and came up with a list of, I don't know, maybe six or eight items that we wanted to have attention. The main halyard was a little doggy and I think there was uh, maybe some gel coat chips and that sort of thing. But really the boat was five years old and it was in very good shape. And so we made our deal and Dream Yacht Charters was terrific as far as fixing everything that needed to be done. And one of the things that was appealing about it was that the, um, it came, you know, ready to go sailing. It had safety equipment on it, it had pots and pans and you know how that stuff is. It kind of adds up. Uh, so there we were ready to go in Montana, making our plans, boat ready to be picked up, boat paid for and COVID hit us. And that was, we've just thought, how we've got we've got managers at the lodge we have all of our plans we have an escape plan to get out of school the kids out of school and now we can't have this dream trip so we we were you know we were in a jam i mean i'm sure can you relate to that how how that was no i think you have a unique experience that's that's why everything is different this year so yes well well what happened so then so then i wrote the council general in of croatia in san francisco that's the office that we living in montana were directed to deal with and i wrote them in april and they said no dice you're not coming over here okay no dice so we hung around for a month uh and and uh, now during this month, we're in the hospitality business. During this month, our business went away. Um, everybody canceled. We have a lot of Europeans that come over. Uh, and so, you know, we were just kind of twiddling our thumbs and, you know, doing maintenance work and doing this sort of thing. So um, we get to early May, and there's sort of chatter on the internet that is promising. And so on the 15th of May, I write to Dimar, he was the council general for Croatia. And I said, I understand that Croatia is opening, is is closed to all visitors. 
except for property owners, boat owners, people that have charter agreements, people that have housing rental agreements. So they said, no, you can't come, but then they had exceptions that you could drive a bus through. And DMAR comes back and he says, you're welcome. We would love to have you. So we go to the airport in Bozeman, go to get on the plane, and uh, the United rep there is, it just doesn't know what to do with us. First of all, where the heck is Croatia? Uh, and then, you know, no, no, you can't fly overseas. And so, you know, we produce the paperwork that says we can. And we fly down to Denver and then we, then we get hooked out of Denver over to Newark. And we get to Newark with about an hour to connect to our flight on Luf with Lufthansa to Frankfurt. And the guy there says, it ain't happening. IATA, I-A-T-A, the International Airline Travel, whatever it's called, will not allow you to go. Sailboat ownership is not an exception for Croatia. And so now we've been flying all day. I got three kids, my wife and me. I'm in Newark. And they say, you're gonna, we're going to put you up in a hotel and we'll resolve this thing tomorrow. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be in a hotel in Newark with COVID. I really want to just get out of here. And, but I'm kind of shaking, you know, I'm kind of like, have I really fouled this thing up and brought my family all the way here? And we're not going to, we're not going to pull this thing off. So it gets down to about 10 minutes before they close the door and Mandy says, why don't you give DMAR, that's the Croatian general counsel, why don't you give him a call? And I said, well, Mandy, it's 4.30 in San Francisco. I, I mean, what's the chance? And she says, give him a call. So I call the general counsel. His assistant picks up the phone and says, just a minute, DMAR's still here. And I'm, on, I'm there with the United Lufthansa reps, and he got him on speakerphone. He gets on the phone. And he says, Chris, it's so nice to hear your voice. How are you doing? Are you enjoying Croatia? <clears throat> I said, I'm not in Croatia. I'm at the United Terminal. They don't want to let me on the plane. He said, give me the phone. Give him the phone. I'm going to talk to him. We got on the plane. These guys, the gate agents were like, you're on a first name basis with the general counsel for, for Croatia. That's pretty cool. So we flew to Frankfurt, got the same business there. Lufthansa didn't want us to get on Croatian airlines, but the pilot came out and just said, what are you holding these guys up for? They're, they're allowed to go put them on the plane. So all of all the stars lined up, everything worked with a little added stress the way it was supposed to. And we got to the customs line to go in because, you know, it's how they're all working this thing now with COVID and the, and the border crossings and stuff. And the customs the immigration officer didn't bat an eyelash, filled out the paperwork and broomed us out of there. So that's how we got to Croatia in the land of COVID when nobody else is here. What a wonderful time to be sailing around Croatia. Normally, you can't find anchorages. It's just so crowded. 
So it must have been a delightful sale in Croatia this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we, uh, we we had we got to the the marina, which was really lovely. DYC has this marina in uh, near Šibenik called Zatan, which is just a few miles. Uh, well, it's on the way to to Skodden there, you know, up at the mm-hmm. Kirker yeah. Falls Park. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a. Uh, just a lovely, lovely facility. And I don't know, I'm going to say they have 30 or 40 boats in there or something like that. And uh, uh, we got on the boat. We had a punch list of things that had not been taken care of because they couldn't be taken care of because they literally opened the marina back up a week before we got there. So things were backed up. So we spent about 10 days there, which was longer than we wanted to. But you know, we had we had to put a name on the boat. And we had to put a name on the lazy bag, and I don't know. There's a number of items, and they took care of them very diligently. And and uh, as we were getting near to being ready to push off, uh, it was going to take three more days to get the lazy bag back, so we couldn't put the mainsail on. <clears throat> so we just motored uh, up to Kirker Falls and had three or four days motoring around up there, which is wonderful. And then we came back and put the lazy bag on and sailed off into the sunset. And uh, we've been sailing ever since. And um, it's Croatia was until early. So we started sailing. Let's see, we got there in the middle of, I think, the 22nd of May. We probably started sailing around the 2nd or 3rd of June. And so from the 2nd or 3rd of June until uh, basically the end of the first week in July, we were um, we were the only ones out there sailing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we heard about all the traffic and how crowded things were. And, and there we were in anchorages with I mean, we were we were in split uh, and we were the only uh, cruising boat in split. Can you imagine? No, I can't. <laughs> and I'm jealous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's, it was really great, really great. And then even when things really started to get going, and they did, they did perk up a lot in Croatia in, uh, in July and, and early August when we were there, uh, uh, I could see uh, just it's, it's – amazing how many charter boats are in Croatia. It's a staggering number of boats. Yeah. And it gets bigger every year. It's just, that's the amazing thing. It's uh, yeah, it's almost I, to the point where it's overwhelming the resource in my opinion, but that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, we, we basically made two, uh, circumnavigations of the Croatian coast we went up and down, and uh, Greece wasn't open to us. So we went back up and came back down. So we went up and down twice. And the second time, we went up further. And How far, and north, how far north did you get, Chris? Excuse me? How far north did you get? We, we got up to uh, uh, Pula. Okay. And uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't go further than Pula, but we 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 got to Pula and we got over there to uh, 
um, what's that? What's that called? Um, just a second. Mandy's poking her head in. We got as far north as Pula, or did we go further north, Mandy? That's as far as we Yeah. Mandy, my wife, is just sticking her head in here. Did you get, you um, might have got up to Rovinia, because that might have been a destination to get to. Did you get up there? We, did, we didn't go that far. Okay. We just went to Pula. Bye. Okay. It's a bit of an industrial <laughs> town when you come around that, uh, that big island with all the industry on it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we had... So, so we get like just, I don't know how you want, I know you often kind of go blow by blow on this, but, um, we, we left, we got our main salon and we left Shibanek and we really enjoyed staying out at the end of the ship channel there by the fort. There's a nice little anchorage there tucked in behind the fort and a beautiful trail that goes back along the, the ship's channel into Shibanek. Do you know where I'm talking about? Yeah, I there? do. Was that on the uh, the south side or the north side of the of the fort? Because I anchored south there. Side. Okay, yeah, I anchored there this last last summer. Exactly where you're talking about. It gets uh, you got to look. It gets really shallow really fast as you go in there. Yeah, yeah, yes, it does. But you had a catamaran, yeah. so you didn't have to worry about it as much as I did. So no. <laughs> How much do you draw with your your boat? I around, around five feet. Around five feet. Yeah. So we're we're uh, we're less than that. We're one point. Well, they tell us one. Meters. Yeah, one point eight meters. I think it's less than that. But anyway, yeah, it does get shallow quickly. Um, but there's nice holding in there. So we got we got there, and the next day we woke up, and there was a nice breeze out of the south at like ten to fifteen, and so we got our sails up, and we sailed down a little ways towards. Uh, um, uh, uh, Bodici. Bodici. Yeah, Bodici. And we stopped and bought some groceries there. And then we put the sails up. And it went from 10 to 15 to 15 to 20 to 20 to 25 to 25 to 30 <laughs> to 30 to 35. In, in about, in about a less than, way less than an hour. Yep. And we got, we got everything up. <laughs> <laughs> First time on the boat. And it was our first sail on the boat. And, and you know, we're not... Uh, the lines weren't rigged all the way. Yeah, it turns out that the reefing lines were all messed up. So anyway, we ended up having just a rip-snorting sail downwind <laughs> in, uh, in a Scirocco, as it turns out. And we uh, were doing... We're doing 10 plus knots with the wind over the port quarter and the boat is doing fabulous. The crew is less than excited and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe how well this boat goes. It's spectacular. And, and, uh, but it's really kind of hard to hand steer. So I just turned on auto and let it do its thing. And it was wonderful. We, you know, we had that wind comes up from Africa, that hot, steamy kind of breeze. And it, there was a pretty good swell running with it. So the boat was kind of surfing at times and, and getting into the 11s, uh, but mostly high nines and tens. And, uh, we, we went down, went down wind to, uh, to, uh, Oh, where? 
Marina Haramina. Murder. Murder. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Murder. Uh, murder. And uh, and we got into murder there, and uh, hung out for a couple of days while that Scirocco burned itself out. And uh, and then then we uh, then we sailed up that channeled up to Zatan and really liked Zatan a lot. Gosh, that's just a lovely town, not very good anchorage. And we're, we're, we're anchoring folks. We're not Marina folks. So, um, we were very interested in anchoring our, our way around Croatia. And I read so much on the internet that, you know, forget it. You're going to get, uh, it's going to be expensive and it's hard to do. And uh, but we found a resource that uh, really made it possible. Uh, we had, I think we had four or five uh, pilot books for Croatia. We had seven seven seven. We had uh, Dina and Trevor's. A book from Imray. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? Do you know that book? Yeah, I've got that one as well. Uh huh. Yep. And then we had uh, Havarska had put together two really detailed uh, books that were limited publications, but came with the boat uh, with a lot of valuable information in it. So we had those. That was Adriatic One and Adriatic Two, North and then South. Then we had somebody else's pilot book, but it wasn't nearly as complete and didn't go as far north as we'd like. And then we stumbled on this guy, Nathan Quirk, on Noonsight, who has a kept track of all of his anchorages in Croatia over a number of years of sailing and listed all the ones that he stayed in for free. Oh, really? And so, yes, it's just a spectacular resource. It's a Google Earth thing. Oh, that one, that one, that one. Yes, where it's an overlay on Google Earth, and he's got them outlined on Google Earth, and he shows you where the the, uh, paid and unpaid, well, where the paid moorings are and what you can expect. Is that the one you're talking about? No, no, I know what you're thinking of. No, this is, this is another person who has... It's Google Earth, and then you download his uh, his pins, and there's no there the the one you're thinking of shows like the no go zones, right? Mm-hmm. The no anchoring zones. Is that right? Well, that also shows all the mooring li- uh, mooring fields and the and yeah yeah he he doesn't do that. Okay. He just puts a pin where he anchored, and then he puts together a paragraph or two with each pin describing what he found there. Hmm. So, you know, it's really pretty raw, but uh, uh, the, 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 the necessary information, you know, that um, you might need to tie back here or we got the anchor in and it was uh, really terrific or there's a lot of weed and we had to, you know, try a number of times to get a good set. Uh, but with that information in in two and a half months of sailing, we paid only three nights uh, to to be 
anchored in Croatian waters. Only three nights. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at uh, Noon Site and uh, it says okay. noon, noon Site Map User Instructions. Is that okay. Right? So wait. So wait. Go to Noon Site. Go mm-hmm. to Croatia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then go to Related User Comments. Okay. Let's go to Noon Site, Croatia. All right, then. Um, Did you find related user comments? Not yet, not yet. Let me see. It's on the left-hand side, if I remember right. Ah, there we go. Okay, so uh, formalities, general information, or related user comments. Okay, there it is. Yep. Okay. Click on that. And, you know, those they're all dated. Okay. And then scroll down. uh and I see Nathan you know. Quark uh, comments down here. A lot of comments here. All right, but I'm yep. looking from... keep, keep following them down to. Uh, you got to go back. I don't know nine months or something or really? something like that, and you'll see that he posts uh, the the uh, I don't know what you call it KML file for uh-huh. Earth KMZ or KML uh, file. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with all of that information. All right, let's see if I can find it. That's, you know, I get so many people writing me and saying, tell me, uh, tell me about uh, Croatia. I will, I don't want to keep you online. I've got this up, so we'll continue with your story and I'll dig into this when we're done talking. So that's, uh, well, it's a, it's a great resource and uh, I haven't had a chance to thank him yet for that, but um, uh, we, we use that and, and uh, it was spectacular. So uh, then, then you know, being being a good Rocky Mountain native, uh, Franz, I'm sure you know about grizzly bears and <laughs> how to handle them. And so, you have bear spray. Yeah. You call hay bear. Uh, and you try not to whistle them in during hunting season. So, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I used to actually carry, I, I, I carry a pistol with me when I go hunting. But uh, when I came across a black bear, not a grizzly bear, I realized that there's really no point because it was too light of a, I used a nine, I had a nine millimeter pistol with me. I thought, this won't even scare the guy and it'll just make him angry. And so after that, I started carrying bear spray with me, too, when I go on walks. Well, the reason I bring that up is it sort of parallels what we did next after Zatan. We we if you uh, if you've got Google Earth, I've got it up. Yep. Okay, I'm pulling it up right now. So I have it in front of me. Let me just uh, get myself. So Shibanik and then uh, let's see, there's murder and there's. Uh, where's Zatan? Sukasan. There's, uh, no, uh, Zadar. There's Zadar, or Zadar, I guess. Okay, so we left Zadar, and we sailed up along the coastline, and uh, we took the first available right turn, which is off the island of uh, Ver. Okay. Maybe. Do you see that? 
All right. So from Zeta- from Zadar, you're heading north farther then? Yep. Heading north. Okay, northeast, I guess, or northwest, I guess I should yeah. say. Yeah, northwest. You're right. going right. past Pago Island, continuing north after that? No, no. So we we wanted to get in to Pogtown. Okay. So, so at the end, at the southeastern end of Pog, there's sort of a zigzag channel that cuts over to the Velibet. Yeah, okay. You, you see that? Well, let's see. Um, are, you going, are you going up and then coming back down and going through that very narrow passage to get next to the mainland then? Is that what you're talking about? You got it. Okay. You got it. Okay, so we do that. We get in there and we do this zigzag and we stay in this little harbor that's kind of, uh, uh, let's see, you go in and you go south and then you're starting back to head up to the next north zig and there's a a harbor on the right-hand side there. I don't know if you can see that. Um, It's... It's not on Pog. It's on, uh, you know, the the, uh, the next island. Zadar side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay, you... so we stayed there, and we're, we get in there. We're the only boat in there, and the houses, such as they were, were probably 12 or 14 feet square, made out of poured concrete with one window in them and a door. And there's probably a dozen of these things around the harbor. And then there were a couple of uh, beachy bar things there that were in pretty hard shape. And there's plant life is, um, you know, like looking for plant life on Mars. It's, 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 it's a rock. And this is where the bear analogy comes in. We know nothing. You know, we're like, wow, this is really kind of weird, moonscapey kind of thing. It's kind of cool. So we had a quiet night there. We get up the next day. We finish the zigzags. We go under the bridge, which was really cool. And we get into the Velibit Channel. And um, have you been on the Velibit Channel? No, I've never been over there. That's one area I've never been to. Okay, well, so... So as we're going under the, the, the bridge to gain the velvet, it starts to rain and kind of thunder, and, but there's no wind. It's just rain and light rain, drizzle, then some heavier rain. But, you know, it's kind of five knots, two knots of wind, not much. And so we're powering along, uh, and we're powering up this thing, and, and – uh, um, about the time we get up near Pogtown, it clears up. And man, that landscape is, it's hard to believe what it looks like. It is spectacular, but it is something out of Star Wars. It is uh, the rock, there's nothing growing on these rocks on the, what would be the east side of Pog. It is absolutely scoured clear of any plant life. And it's uh, a startlingly bright kind of white, tannish color. Well, anyway, it's really cool. So 
we go up there and we hook the corner and we go down to Pog and we really like Pog. It's really neat. They, uh, they make salt there in the salt flats south of town and they have this Pog sheep cheese, which is unusual tasting because all of the grass there is covered with kind of a salty dew uh, due to the Bora, which you know, here we go. Here's the grizzly bear. What's a Bora? They don't know what a Bora is. So we, we spend two nights there. And uh, um, then we get out and we continue uh, up the coast for uh, going to um, Rob. Okay. And, okay. And now we're still in the velvet. And if you look at your uh, Google Earth, immediately east of the southern end of Olak Dolan, on the mainland, Mm -hmm. on the mainland, is a little inlet. And if you zoom in on it, it goes really deep, and it's called Zavranika. Okay. Did I I send you a picture of the boat anchored in there? Sure, that'd be great. Oh, I don't know if you did or not. I know you sent me some pictures yesterday, but I was on my iPhone and I didn't open them up yet. So okay, I think I sent you a picture of this. This this place it's a park in the Velibit. The Velibit is you know those those big mountains that Mm -hmm. that are up there, Mm -hmm. and this thing is narrow, 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 and deep. And you, you go all the way in there, and all the way at the end is a couple of bollards, and you tie yourself off to, to the shore and drop your anchor and tie yourself off to the shore. And you're in an anchorage that can't accommodate but possibly one other boat, possibly. And the mountains go straight up right from the edge of the water up you know 2,000 feet it is dramatic and we were the only one there it says that you can't stay overnight but the park person was happy to let us stay overnight and we had a really cool experience because there was nobody else around um, so so then from there we went up to Rob and Rob was uh, now. Now really... I'm, I'm looking at Google Earth, and I think I found where you're talking about. Uh, it's, yeah. And there's a little town called Z R N O V N I C A. I don't know if that's the name of the town, but it looks like there's two small breakwaters, and it's an, it's an entrance from the north to the south. Is that correct? No, it's an entrance from the west to the east. Okay. And let's see. Do you see Joblinok? Let me let me type it in here and and just uh, find it. How do you spell that? J A V A N A. J A B. Okay. It's zooming into it right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, right below that. Oh, yes, I see that. It, yeah, it goes up quite a ways there. All right. Yeah, yeah. 
and we were anchored right at that last pinch point in there. Okay. Now, if you if you really zoom in on it, and you look in the main part of the basin, you will see a sunken World War II Nazi uh, barge, I think, um, on the north shore of that inlet. <laughs> okay. And there's a, a memorial to it, and uh, the Allies, I think, uh, uh, hold it when it was out in the, out in the ocean, and they made a beeline for in here as it was sinking, and and then stepped off the boat and ran away. It looks like. Huh. Yeah, it looks like a gorgeous inlet from the pictures that Google oh, Earth. You know, I'm really disappointed Google Earth took off everybody else's photographs and only put the ones that they wanted on there uh, about a year ago, which which really deteriorates from the ability to see the area like you used to be able to. But, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So that's a really cool spot. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's accessible in a regular season or not, but we, we were able to stay there and it was a special, special experience for us. It looks like it gets pretty oh. shallow way, way at the very end of that. So, oh, well, it, it, it does look that way, but we were, I think, uh, we were anchored right by that last pinch point there. And I think we had, uh, 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 six to eight meters underneath us there. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you about Boris. How many did you experience? Well, we ended up experiencing a number of them, but it took a while <laughs> before we before we had our first. And and the interesting thing about it was we didn't learn about Boris until we had gone down to split, which meant we'd gone all the way up. Which is this is a, Rob was as far north as we went on our first first trip here. Okay, and then we'd gone down to split and. And the borer was coming in then, and so we went to the ACI there, Marina, in Split, and spent three nights. And across from us was uh, this this uh, fellow from Austria that had been sailing there for 20 years. And uh, he asked where we'd gone, and I told him the Velibit. And he looked at me and he said, the Velibit? Did Really, the Velibit? And I said, yes. He goes, do you know the Velibit has 120 kilometer an hour winds in Boras? Were you, were you, what, what took you there? And we kind of shrugged our <laughs> shoulders and went, I you know, I don't know what you're talking about. We're, we're naive here. And uh, then we looked up the Croatian weather for the Velibit, and they were forecasting 95 kilometer winds in the Bora that we were in down in Split. <laughs> and that's why the grizzly bear analogy is we walked we walked through the you know through the aspens not not knowing that there were grizzly bears all around us. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, you learn really fast what the boars can be like if you once you once you have your first one. So <laughs> yeah, they're they're an impressive uh, weather pattern for sure. Um, and we did we did what uh, once. Once we kind of started putting it all together, we we became um, uh, a lot wiser paying paying attention to them. Uh, and we got I, I think I think the, the bottom line is we got darn lucky going up the velvet there and not getting our fingers singed. I think we could have 
you know, been in a pickle if something had happened. Uh, but but it, it worked out fine. Well, I um, I never figured out how to forecast a bora. Um, the locals seem to know when a bora is coming, but I've I've never and the weather forecasts that I listen to, they never seem to predict the boras. How did you uh, go about finding out when a bora was going to arrive? The only way I ever found out was from local knowledge. I'd talk to a a harbor master and he'd say, "Oh yeah, we've got a bora coming tonight." Or something like that, but it was never in any of the uh, the grib files that I ever downloaded or anything like that. What did what did you use, or did you? Well, well, we we played paid attention to the you know the Hrvatska um, weather the government weather page, and they would very often refer to the the I think they call it the Bura or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they would refer to the Bura in that. And predict wind was difficult for us. Uh, it wasn't uh, a, a forecasting issue, but uh, with the quality of the internet we had, we just couldn't get it to download very easily. It seemed to have uh, be a little bit too robust for us. Uh, so we used Windy uh, as our as our uh, sort of computer model mm-hmm. uh, on that. And it, it would download it would download more easily, uh, and we could get that information. And you're right; the locals also seem to really know uh, when that stuff's moving around. And so we kind of stayed stayed t- close to it. But anytime we saw that wind swing around to the that northeastern vector there, we went we went on alert. Um, because it seemed to, I think we probably had three or four boras that we experienced after our naive sail north. And uh, it seemed to be that any time the wind started to come out of that quadrant, it wasn't unusual for it to, to turn into something. And Windy, Windy almost always predicted it. Hmm. Well, I, I was never able to get Windy to predict boras for me. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, to me, I, I never saw Wendy predict anything except for the general, the general weather forecast. The boras seem to be a very localized phenomena, and the models that Wendy kicked out never seem to do anything for me. Anyway, continue on your, sto- your story. This is a good story. So, so we ended up, we sailed over to Rock. Uh, we're we're avid outdoors people, so uh, we got into town there and we anchored uh, in that little uh, channel uh, to the to the west of town. Uh, I don't know. I'm not describing. But, uh, you look at the west side of the city from uh, that anchoring area there. From Rob, um, R-A-B, is that the word we're talking about? Yeah, R-A-B, yeah, yeah. Rob, yeah, Rob Town. Yeah. And Rob Town was, again, was just a super town. You know, it has that that really nice waterfront that you can stroll along and the, the, the cafes along it and then up high the the old town of the city. I'm just, just a, I mean, that there's half a dozen of those sites along the coast there that are just breathtaking and, and warm feeling and inviting. And, 
And that's one of them. We really like that. Hogtown was one. Um, Zadar was one. Um, and and so we, we, with our kids, we liked a mountain bike. So we went over and we uh, rented some mountain bikes in town. And then we rode around that peninsula that's on the the far west side there of, of the mm-hmm. island of Rob. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, the the kids sort of had some eye-opening bike riding experiences as they rode along this trail there, and and the people were casually strolling along the trail with not a stitch of clothing on. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, growing up in Montana, uh, you wouldn't dare take your clothes off because it's so darn cold there. Um, so there, <laughs> that was a new a new sight for them. Uh, and so we did we did some mountain biking there, and uh, and then took off and headed uh, over to Losinji. Okay. Uh, yeah, and we stayed there. We stayed uh, down there. We never got to Losinji. Oh, okay. What uh, I say just, now, when you say Losinji, it's I say Losinji, but it's L O S I N J, whatever. Okay, so you never got there then. Well, we we got very close on our second trip. You know, this is still our first trip, and uh, so we stayed in a really a great anchorage. It's that it's to the right, to the to the east of uh, of. Uh, how do you Los Losinje? Well, you can go you ahead pronounce and pronounce it, it the way you want to pronounce it. That's fine with me. Losinje is fine with me, but I don't know yeah. if I'm. You don't assume I know how to pronounce it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it, it, you know. Anyway, so we stayed. We stayed in that uh, long gut that runs up from the south end of that. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Crest. Crest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got up to where the uh, where the bridge opens up, and you go through it between Crest and uh, Losinge. Is that where you're talking no. about? No, we're down at the very south end of Crest. Okay, yeah. And on your Google Earth, there's a long channel that yep. goes up from the very south end there. Okay, I've never been and, there, so I see it though here. Oh, it's a great it's a great anchorage. Uh, really wonderful. breeze it would hold up really well because uh, you can tuck in there uh, nice and deep and uh, uh, get a good bite in some nice muddy sand it, that was a really secure feeling place looks like there's a little uh, village around there as well very small village yeah there's kind of a, a camp yeah a campground in there but then further up that's right there's that nice village and and uh, uh, we didn't go ashore there, but there were look, a couple of nice-looking uh, cafes right there and some mooring balls. If you like picking up mooring balls, I think that that, 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 that would be great. I, we like that spot a lot. Hmm. Um, so, so then we uh, um, tried to move along on Croatia here. Let's see. We, we kind of sailed down through uh, – Let's see. Where do we go? We went. Right. We Let's... we went from there all the way down to. We had a big day, and I think we went down to not Otak Silba, but something else in here. 
Uh, okay, Chris, I'm going to stop yeah. you. We've been going on about fifty minutes, fifty-five minutes right now, and I'm going yeah. to uh, stop this recording and start another one for a second edition. We don't want to go too long because people can't stay in their cars out in front of their work too long. Yeah. Some they got to get get to work. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. There's three ways to support the podcast. The first is becoming a Patreon, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd consider becoming a Patreon. That website is patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, backslash medsailor, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R. The next way is to buy some of my audio products. If if you're studying for the ASA 101, the 103, or the 104, I have a series of audio lessons that can help you prepare for the written portion of that exam. And also, if you're a beginning sailor, you really should download the first of those, the ASA 101, because it'll teach you a lot of the terminology you need to understand for sailing, as well as other valuable pieces of information. And the last way is you can go in and buy some of my bundles of past podcast episodes. I know iTunes only lets me list so many of the past podcasts. If you want the older podcasts, there's two ways to get those. The first way is free. Just go to the website and search through the back catalog of podcasts. The easier way is just to go to the website and look for my audio products for sale, and they will be listed there. I think you have 20 podcasts for $9.99, something like that. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. And again, if you have any thoughts or suggestions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. The website for Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.